Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our year-long study into revival by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. It's good to see you this morning as we gather and worship. If you have your Bibles, you'll go ahead and turn them to 2 Kings chapter 3. 2 Kings chapter 3. I want to go over what we talked about last week because we were talking about an army, an army that needs revival. Remember that? An army that needs revival. And you can kind of follow there in your, in your scripture as I go through it. Uh, Bob, can we pull those lights up? It's too dark out there. They can't read their Bibles. Um, anyway, we're going to be going through that scripture. I told you the story. It was about the fact that when Jehoram became king over Israel, that Mesha, who was king of Moab, decided that he was going to rebel against Jehoram and Israel. For they'd had to pay like 100,000 lambs and 100,000 wool of rams for a number of years. And whenever Jehoram's the new king, they decided that now's the time to rebel. So they rebelled against Jehoram and Israel and said, we're not paying that tax anymore. Well, whenever that happened, Jehoram had to decide what he was going to do. And when he decided what he was going to have to do, he realized he needed to put that rebellion down. And so he decides that he's going to not only go and fight Moab, he's going to invite King Jehoshaphat and Judah to join with him in that battle. And they agree to go. So you remember we had the map that went down on the western side of the Dead Sea, went through Judah. And then Edom also joined because they were in servitude to, to Judah and whatever Judah did, Edom did. So there were three kings, the king of Israel, the king of Judah, and also the king of Edom and their armies that were going to go and do battle against Moab. And they were going down through the land of Moab so that they come up from Moab from the bottom, from the south side and attack, which would be kind of unusual for them. So these three kings then journey seven days, seven days into the wilderness of Edom. Now, the wilderness is not good for much. There's not much to eat there, and there's certainly not much to drink there. And also, it's a good place to get lost. But they go out there that far around in order to sneak up on Moab, but they have a problem. What was their problem? They ran out of water. That's right. There was no water for their armies to drink. There was no water for their horses. There was no battle water for the cattle that they would carry along with them in order to feed the army. There was no water. And whenever that crisis happened, Jehoram, who was the king of Israel, who was, grew up in a godless family and, and didn't really honor God, Jehoram immediately says, God did this, blames God. God is the one who did this. Well, that's what godless people do. They always want to blame God for something, even though Jehoram was the one who decided to go to battle. He's the one who decided to go the route around Judah and Edom. He made all those decisions, but he didn't want to carry the responsibility. He just wanted to blame God. Be careful whenever you find yourself wanting to blame God, especially when it was your choice and your decision. But thankfully, there was a righteous king there named Jehoshaphat, who was the king of Judah. And he said, what we need to do in this time of our problem and need, we need to get a word from God. We need a word from God. Is there a prophet of the Lord nearby? And you know what was amazing? Is that God had so ordered Elisha, that, that prophet of God, who ordinarily would have stayed up in Samaria or Jericho or somewhere to the north, 
he had ordered him to come down there and to be close to where the armies would be whenever they were getting in a desperate situation because when they asked for a man of God or a prophet, they said, Elisha, the one who used to wash the feet and wash the hands of Elijah, he was the servant of Elijah, he's the man of God and he's here. Isn't it great to know that whenever you need a word from God, God is available, amen? <laughs> Even though he had to send Elisha all the way down there so that they'd be able to talk to him, God is always available when you need a word from God, when you face a problem. When Jehoshaphat heard about Elisha, he said, the word of the Lord is with him, so bring him here. So they went and got Elisha and brought him there. And Elisha immediately looked at Jehoram, that wicked king who didn't know God and didn't love God. And he said, what do you have to, what are you here for? What do you want me for? Because why don't you go ask your mom and daddy's prophets, those prophets of Baal, let them give an answer for you. Because he knew the answer to that. They're, they can't give an answer. They are no gods. And he went on and said, if it were not the fact that I see Jehoshaphat, the righteous man here, I would not have anything to do with you. But because, because Jehoshaphat is here, I will hear you. I will hear you and I will give you a word. So they call the musicians. You remember that? Musicians, the minstrels came and played. And when the music began to play, the word of the Lord came to to, uh, Elisha for Jehoshaphat. And what was that word of the Lord? Well, the first thing was a command. Was a command. Do any of you, do any of you happen to remember what that command was? They were supposed to what? They were supposed to dig some trenches they were supposed to dig some ditches you remember that we call it ditches in the south they were supposed to dig some ditches in the valley there in the wilderness where it's dry they're supposed to dig those ditches we talked about that how important it was to dig the ditches if they were going to be able to receive the blessing remember that if they're going to be able to receive and hold the blessing they're going to have to dig that ditch We talked about it in our own life, didn't we? We talked about in our own life that if we want to receive a blessing, whenever we need that revival, like that army, we we got to have to dig some ditches too. I wanted to bring this today to to remind you and to ask you, you, have you been digging any ditches? Have you been? Thank you for your honesty. (laughs) Have you been, been digging any any spiritual ditches? Have you been digging something whereby when God sends revival that you'll be able to receive it, you'll be able to retain it? Have you been looking and asking God, God, where, where is it? What is it you want to do? And, and how will I know that revival has come? Where is that ditch, that trench that you are digging so that you can retain the blessing? Well, they were commanded to dig those ditches. So they get out there and they begin to dig the ditch. And and the promise of God was this. He said, here's the promise. Tomorrow, tomorrow morning, it's going to happen. You're not going to see wind and you're not going to see rain. You're going to see the normal things, how you would get water into the wilderness. You're not going to see that, but, but water is going to flow miraculously in the valley. Water's going to flow in that valley. And, and those ditches and trenches are how you're going to hold that water in order to, for it to bless you and to bless those animals who are with you and to provide for you what you're going to need. The water will flow in the morning. But he said, 
But that's just a small thing. That's a slight thing. He said, there's something more significant that that God's going to do. He's going to give the Moabites into your hand. That's the greater miracle. That the Moabites are going to be in your hand. That's what we covered last week. Well, when you pick up from there in verse 19, if you have your Bibles there, if you pick up in verse 19, you find the rest of the story. He ends up with a final command. Remember, he gives a command and he gives two promises. The water's coming and the Moabites go into your hand. Then he gives them another command. He says in verse 19, then you shall strike every fortified city and every choice city and fell every good tree and stop all the springs of water and mar every good piece of land with stones. In other words, he says, when the victory comes to the Moabites, uh, over the Moabites, I want you to totally destroy the cities and I want you to mar every piece of land. I want you to ravage the land of the Moabites. That's what you've got to do. And you might wonder, well, why is he asking that? Why is that important? Why does he want to do that? Well, here's why he wanted to do it. Whenever they would defeat the Moabites, he wanted to so tear up their land and so hinder their land that they would spend all of their time putting their land back together and dealing with their problems. And when they're dealing with their own problems, they ain't got time to go and and rebel against anybody else. (laughs) They haven't got time to go capture somebody else's land and, and fool with somebody else's stuff as long as they're trying to put their cities back together, clear out their springs, get the rocks out of the out of the gardens and, and, and to be able to rebuild the trees and reestablish the trees so there's shade and their fruit, they're going to have to work on their land. And, and for that one who's rebelling, if they have to work on their land, they haven't got time to rebel against anything else. So that's what he commanded them to do. Two commands, two promises. Now, I want to pick up there and see that the water comes. Look at verse 20. And it happened in the morning... About the time of the offering of the sacrifice, underline this now, that behold, water came by the way of Edom, and the country was filled with water. There is that miracle. (laughs) It says, just as the man of God said, just as the word of God promised, the water came. It wasn't the wind. It wasn't the rain. The water came miraculously and went into that valley and filled up those ditches and trenches just like God said. But don't miss this. Hey, listen. Don't miss this. It says, listen to me now. It came by the way of Edom. If you were to look back in your map, I don't have the map up here today, but if you look back in your map, remember that Edom was down below the Dead Sea and, and Edom was the place of the wilderness. Or, ordinarily, the water would have come from the north up in the Sea of Galilee and that would have naturally come that way. But it says the water is going to flow in the valley and it's going to come from the land of Edom. What was in Edom? The wilderness. The wilderness. The wilderness is not where the water comes from. The wilderness and desert is not where the place that the water is going to flow. But he says it's going to be a miracle. It's going to be the hand of God that the water is going to flow out of the land of the wilderness Edom and going to fill in that valley. It's going to be the hand of God who does it. Now, you need to remember that for something we'll be sharing in a little bit, all right? 
But the water comes, fills the trenches, they drink, their animals drink, all is well. But hold on a second. Hold on a second. It wasn't just that the water came. It wasn't just that the water came. What about that greater victory? What was the greater victory? That the Moabites were going to be placed in the hands. They're going to fall into the hands of Israel. So it picks up there in verse 21 and tells us about that greater miracle. Listen. Now, all the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them, and all who were able to put on armor and older were summoned and stood on the border. All right, got to get the picture. They heard that the armies are coming. The king of Israel, Judah, the Edom, they're all going to come. And they go out there on the southern border. They understand they're coming through the, the wilderness of Edom, and they're going to be there. And they're going on the southern border between Moab and Edom right there, and they've built them a wall to defend their country, to defend their country. They've got that, you got that picture in your mind? All right. So they're sitting there. Everybody they can get from Moab who can put on armor, they've got them ready to fight these three armies. Now look what happens in verse 22. And they rose early in the morning and the sun shone on the water and the Moabites saw the water opposite them As red as blood. Now, remember the miracle happened. God sent water out of the land of Edom to fill up that valley, to fill up those ditches. So now, here are the ditches, and they're flowing with water. Wait a minute. The Moabites hadn't felt any wind. They hadn't seen any rain. They hadn't watched any water come from the north, which ordinarily is where it would come from, the north. So there couldn't be any water. So when they get up and the sun, the glory of the sun shines on that water, it makes that water look red. The Moabites see that water and they see it as red. It's it's the glory of the sun. It's It's the glory of God, really, amen, that caused that water to look to them like it was red. Well, since there was no rain and since there was no way that water could have been there out of the land of Edom, since it's a wilderness, then what do those kings think in their mind? Look what they think there in verse 23. Then they said, this is blood. Listen now. And the kings have surely fought together and they have slain one another. Listen Now, therefore, Moab to the spoil. When they saw that blood, they said, man, you know what's happened? Those three kings who came together, they're all from different different countries, different nations, and and they had a squabble, they had a fight. That's happened before whenever armies had come against the army of God. You remember those things? And they fought against one another, and they've so fought against one another, they've destroyed each other, and the land is flowing with blood. That's the blood of the armies of Israel and Judah and Edom. They are killing one another. They've destroyed one another. So it is Moab to the spoil. You know what they said? Moab to the spoil. What does that mean? That means we're going to go get all the treasure and all the stuff that they have that is of value. We're going to go get it all. And we're going to bring it here. Now, hold on a second. If they were ordinarily going to battle, what would they have? They'd have a shield. They'd have a spear. They'd have a sword. 
They'd have all kinds of equipment and instruments that they would use for war, right? When you're going to battle, you carry all that equipment. But hold on a second. Whenever the armies have destroyed one another and you're going for spoil and you're going for riches, what do you do? Get rid of that junk, right? I'm getting rid of my shield. I'm getting rid of my spear. I'm getting rid of my sword. I'm taking everything off. Because why? Because I'm going down to collect all the riches. If I'm carrying all that stuff, I can't carry many riches. I'm getting rid of all that army, all that military stuff. I'm getting all of that weapons. I'm getting rid of that so I can go get the riches. Get the picture? Got it in your mind? So here they do. They drop all of their fighting equipment and they run as fast as they can to get the riches of the armies that they think have destroyed one another. You get the, they're running hard as they can to be the first there to get the best riches. But they don't have one thing to guard themselves. Look what happens. Verse 24. But when they came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose and struck the Moabites so that they fled before them and they went forward into the land of Moab, slaughtering the Moabites. What did God tell them? The greater miracle is I'm going to give the Moabites into your hands. How greater way could he give them into their hands than they're running with no weapons, no instruments of war at all. They're running as fast as they can to get to the spoils. And all of a sudden they show up and there's the army of Israel, Judah, and Edom. And they have their equipment and they have their instruments and they have what they need. And it was a slaughter. There wasn't any fight. They didn't have anything to fight with. And so the Moabites turn and they run and the Israelites follow them and they're slaughtering them along the way. Just like God said, the greater miracle is I'm going to give the Moabites into your hand. Well, look what happens next, verse 25. Thus they destroyed the cities and each one threw a stone on every piece of good land. They were doing what God said. And filled it. So they stopped all the springs of water and they fell all the good trees until uh, Kereseth only was there left to the stones. However, the slingers went about it and struck. What, what it's saying is this they did battle against the Moabites till they get them right back into a, into a very tight place. It's the most fortified place. It was the capital of, of Moab at that particular time. And it gets them into that place. Where King Misha is along with 700 of his soldiers. The first thing Misha tries to do, it says, he tries to break out against the king of Edom and he doesn't have the means to do it. So what does he do then? It's one of the most interesting stories and horrible stories in all of scripture. It's the very last verse. What Misha does is he takes his son who would be the king. And he offers his son on the wall of the city as a burnt offering to his false god. He offers that to his false god, his son. He burned him on the altar. Trying to beckon his false god to do something for him. Well, his false god couldn't do anything else. But you know what it says? Read down there. 
It, it says something very interesting that happened in relationship to that. It says, and there came great wrath against Israel, and they departed from him and returned to their own land. I want you to understand what that really means. What it really means is that the Israelites were so shook up by what they saw and could not believe what they saw this man do to kill his own son in order to sacrifice to his God that it so disturbed Israel that Israel lost their desire to fight. They lost their desire to fight. They lost their desire to go. And they simply back up and leave him alone. And they go back to their homeland. And they leave Misha and the remainder of the Moabites still alive because of that action and that practice that Misha did. You know an interesting thing? I'm going to put it up on the board for you. I don't know whenever you're reading Western Civ, you remember reading about the Moabite stone? You ever hear about the Moabite stone? This means yes. The Moabite stone is one of the great archaeological finds. This is the Moabite stone. It's one of the greatest archaeological finds that reaffirms, like we don't need it, that the word of God is true. Because you know what the Moabite stone is? The Moabite stone is an inscription of the story that I just read to you in the Bible, written by King Misha, the Moabite. It's the exact story as the Bible tells you, but it's from the view of the Moabite king. And he tells about the fact that he went and sacrificed his son on the altar and that the Israelites withdrew. Written the very same time, the very same people, it records the exact people, the kings who came against him, all of those things are true, which gives you the fact that the word of God can be trusted, amen? (laughs) Amen. And here's a, secular, here's a secular piece that affirms from a different perspective what the story is all about. Well, that's the story, and that's what happened there. But here might be your question. What's that got to do with me? <laughs> I mean, I'm not fighting any Moabites, and, and, and what's that got to do with me? What, what does it have to do with, with revival? Well, remember, we're focusing on, we're focusing on this fact that an army that needs revival, an army that needs revival. If you ask it and say, well, well, what does it have to do with me? It has everything to do with you. Because this story is a foreshadowing of things that were yet to come. It's a foreshadowing and a story of what's going to happen in the New Testament era. What's going to happen in the New Testament time. And it's a picture of spiritual warfare and the promises of God to his church. Let me explain that to you for just a moment. First of all, in order to understand that, you need to understand the origin of the Moabites. You know where the Moabites started? You know where the the land of Moab, the nation of Moab, you know where it came from? It came whenever Lot, you remember Lot, and he was living in Sodom and Gomorrah. And the angels came and told him and his family to get out of there. You remember that? And whenever he told them to get out of there, Lot, his wife, and his two daughters left. But Lot's wife turned around and looked back, and what happened to her? She turned into a pillar of salt, all right? So all that you have left was Lot and his two daughters. 
And whenever they saw and looked, eventually knew that Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, it was just them two. And his two daughters decided and said this, all the men are dead and therefore we're not ever going to have to be able to procreate or have any children. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to take our father and we're going to get him drunk and we're going to lay with him. Each one of us lay with him and we're going to have children. And that's exactly what they did. An incestuous relationship, the epitome of rebellion of God's order and all authority. It's the picture, the ultimate picture of rebellion. And whenever they did that, they had two children. One was named Moab and the other was named Amnon. So Moab came into existence out of sheer rebellion. And their existence was always that they were going to be rebellious to God and rebellious against the people of God. And the people of God constantly had to deal with the Moabites because they were people of rebellion. Hold on a second. Who is the ultimate authority of rebellion? Satan, right? <laughs> Satan is the ultimate authority and power of rebellion for he rebelled against God. And then he had those angels rebel against God. And then he deceived Adam and Eve and sin came into the world. And, and all of this is working. Who do you think was behind? Who do you think was behind all that activity that brought about the birth of Moab? Oh, Satan. Because he wanted to birth a nation that was going to constantly and forever be in rebellion against the people of God and the will of God. Get that picture? You understand that? So when we're talking about rebellion, it's not just the rebellion of Moab against Israel. Rebellion has been a part of existence, and rebellion has been a part of our existence in the New Testament era. Isn't that true? Exactly. And so what has God called us as the people of God to be? He's called us to be the army of God. I hope you understand that you are part of the army of God. When you came and you gave your heart to Christ, you became a part of the army of God. Why do you think God says that you need to put on the whole armor of Christ? Because you're in a war and you're an army. And do you know what your job is? You know what, you know what we're supposed to be doing? It's we're supposed to be putting down all the work of the enemy, all the work of rebellion, all the practices of Moab. And we're supposed to be doing that. And as we have done that, and as we're called to do that, we're an army that, that gathers together to fight against that rebellion. But let me ask you a question. You ever think sometimes we go out in the land of Edom and we run into a problem and it's dry out there and there's no water out there and, and the army of God is is needing God to do something. Is that, you relate to that? You relate to that? How mighty is the army of God today? Are we the army of God in the wilderness waiting for God to send forth the water of life that we might be able to partake and be renewed? I think that's the picture where we are. That's, that's why we need revival. That's why we need for God to do something. And what did God tell them to do? Just what he told us to do. He said, this is what you got to do. You got to dig you a trench. You got to dig you a ditch. You've got to believe that I'm going to do it. And then watch me do what I can do. 
So God's call is to dig that ditch and, and watch God do what only God could do. What did God do? Where did the water come from? The water came miraculously from the land of Edom or it came from the wilderness. You do not need to miss this. Listen, you need to write this down in your heart, if not your notes. You need to get this in your mind. Listen to me, my friend. Let me tell you, where, where did the water of life come from? Where did the miracle water of God come from? Do you know where it came from? It came from the wilderness. You remember when? Oh, no. It's whenever Jesus, whenever Jesus was baptized... When Jesus was baptized, where did he immediately go? He went into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights to be tempted by the enemy. But when he defeated the enemy, he came forth out of the wilderness and began his ministry of defeating the enemy. You get the picture? So where does the water of life come from? It comes from the wilderness. Jesus, when he came from the wilderness, he's the water of life. What did Jesus say? I'm the water of life. Out of you will flow rivers of living water. Why would he say it? Because he's the water of life that came forth from the wilderness. That if we will dig a trench and believe that he will fill our lives with living water and he will continuously fill our lives with living water. If we find ourselves in a place of drought, if we'll dig a ditch, he'll fill us with living water, amen? For he is the living water. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something even greater that it foreshadows. He said the first great miracle is going to be that I'm going to bring the water from the land of Edom. I'm going to bring water to fill up your ditches. But the second one is... I'm going to give Moab into your hands. That's the second, that's the second and the greatest of all miracles. What does that have to do with? Well, it has to do with what's, what was happening and what the Moabites did. What happened to, what happened to Moabites? They saw, when they saw the water of life, they saw it with the glory of God shining on it. And what did they see? They saw it as blood. <laughs> do, do, you know, do, you know what, do you know what the enemy, the rebellious one, do you know what the enemy saw when he sees Jesus? You know the thing he focuses on most of all? Is he wants to focus on that cross. On that cross. When the river of living water shed his blood and the blood of God's son, the blood of the living water flows on that cross. And do you know what Satan thought whenever he saw Jesus dying on that cross? He thought he had won. He thought he had won. God has died. The son of God has died on the cross. He shed his blood. He is defeated. And do you know what he did? He dropped all his instruments of war and was running to the spoil. He thought he had done it. He thought he'd accomplished it to put the Son of God to death. 
and he runs out to win the spoils only to find out that what he thought was a defeat of somebody else was his defeat. And I'm here to tell you, on that third day when Jesus came forth from that grave, (laughs) the enemy who thought he had won realized he had lost. Realized he had lost. He was done in for. And from that time until this time, with the army of God being the church of God, he's supposed to be on the run. He's supposed to be on the run. He's supposed to be being slaughtered. And you know what we're supposed to be doing? Just like God told them to do of the land of Moab, he told us as the church to do to the enemy and the rebellious one. What did they say to Take down every fortified city. Throw a rock on every good piece of ground. Fill up every spring of water. Cut down every tree that could be shade or fruit. You mar that land so that he's going to spend more time spending and wondering about what his land's going to be like and protecting his land and trying to rebuild what he's got than he is taking somebody else's land. See, we got the wrong image of, of the church and of Satan. We got the image of the church that we're supposed to build a wall and we're supposed to protect ourselves against the enemy. That's not the picture of the church. Jesus said that upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's the picture that old Satan ought to be walling up around his stuff because he's afraid that the church who has the power and he's been stripped of all his power can take down what he has. And that's what's supposed to be happening. The church of God is supposed to be taking it down and setting the captives free. That's the promise of God. That's what that story is all about. The living water coming from the wilderness of Edom is also when his shed blood defeats the enemy and the enemy should be on a run and guarding what he has. That's what it's supposed to be. And friend, listen, anything short of that, we need revival. Anything short of that, we need revival. Now, hold on a second. Why in the world does it have that last little part of Misha and what he did with his son? What, what, that is a warning. And it is a warning that we need to heed. Listen to me, my friend. Listen to me. Misha is the king of Edom. He is the king of rebellion. He is the picture of Satan himself. And whenever he got into a tight, and he got into a situation where he should have been taken down, defeated, then he goes through this ungodly practice that the Israelites couldn't even fathom by burning his son on the wall. And it so captivated the the attention of the Israelites and so made them feel so helpless and that they could not grasp it that they left Misha, the king of Edom, the king of rebellion. They left him alive with the Moabites and went home. And you know what that meant? The rest of Moab and Misha's life, Israel's going to have to deal with his rebellion. That's what Satan's doing today. Satan is so trying to keep us so busy by his activities and by his things and by all the stuff that we can't fathom and we can't grasp that we do not finish the job. 
We do not complete the task. We do not carry it on. So eventually, eventually, Jesus will. Amen. <laughs> eventually, Jesus will. So we got the old king of Moab who's carrying on guerrilla warfare right now and trying to cause all kinds of problems with us. That's where it ought to be. But some of us haven't even reached there because we're still sitting out in the, in the Edom wilderness waiting for water, waiting for water, an army that needs revival. Now, that's, that's a marvelous picture, friend, of the plan of God, purpose of God, the purpose of his church. The sad part to me is that we're not living up to what we've been promised. We're not living up to what's available to us, so that's why we need revival. I'm, I want revival to come so much that old Satan is trying to hide what he's got, protect what he's got, and be concerned about Parker Memorial Baptist Church setting the captives free and seeing the power of God go against the enemy of the king of rebellion and for the power of God to be released in an unusual, supernatural way. Anything apart from that, we need revival. Anything apart from that, we need to dig a ditch. We need to dig a ditch. Because unless the ditch is dug, it's not going to give life-giving water to us. Unless that ditch is dug, the glory of God is not going to shine on what that water is in our life to set the enemy to a point that they come and are placed in the hand of the church. Anything apart from that, we need revival. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon dash series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.